Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you here again today. And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know we're walking through this series called Losing Our Religion, where we're exploring what Paul has to say to the church in Galatia and a message to them about the relationship that God wants to have with us is so much more than just religious do's and don'ts, but it's something we live into every day. And so if you've been around, you probably know this equation by now. If not, uh, it's okay if this is your first time. It's really easy. You'll remember it, all right? So it is Jesus plus equals Everything. That's right. And that's what we learned in week one of our Galatians study. Paul in week two added to that and said that Jesus plus nothing equals everything means that dividing walls come down. The things that divide us get broken down, get stripped away, and we become united. We took a look in chapter three that the gospel is the story of God meeting us in our impossibility and bringing new life. And then last week, Chase did a great job as he showed us that when we encounter the gospel, we discover who we truly are. And so today we're going to be taking a look at Galatians chapter 5, but would you pray with me one more time before we dive into that text today? God, we ask and pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say today. God, this is your space. It is your word, and we ask that you would use it to transform us. God, each and every one of us has come in here with different stuff today. But God, you are a God who is big enough to meet us where we are. And so God, whether we're here, and this is just what we do on Sunday morning, is we come and it's part of our routine, and we come because we're so deeply in love with you, I pray that you'd meet us there. God, for those of us in the room this morning who are here for the first time and just trying to discover who you are and what you're all about, God, I ask and pray that you would speak, that we would have an encounter and an experience with a living God today that would change our lives. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. There are so many great speeches throughout history and movies about freedom, right? Maybe the first one that comes to mind, I don't think I'll ever forget the first time I watched Braveheart and William Wallace stands on the hill ready to go into battle and he yells, freedom! And the armies charge into battle. Maybe you might think about Eleanor Roosevelt and her address in 1948 when there were struggles over human rights when she said, we must not be confused about what freedom is. Basic human rights are simply and easily understood. Freedom of speech and a free press, freedom of religion and worship, freedom of assembly and the right of petition, the right of men to be secure in their homes and free from unreasonable search and seizure and from arbitrary arrest and punishment. Freedom. Maybe you think back to one of the greatest freedom speeches of all times. Dr. Martin Luther King, when he said, I have a dream, and he stood 
in Washington, D.C., and declared, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightened Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill of Mississippi. Let every mountainside let freedom ring. And when this happens and we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village, every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to see, speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we're free at last. I think Dr. King is channeling a little bit of Paul in Galatians as he declares that. And so I would like to add Galatians chapter 5 to those incredible speeches about freedom. Galatians 5.1 says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. Paul is crying out with just as much passion as Dr. King, Eleanor Roosevelt, or William Wallace that the Galatians and you and I are free. Do we believe that? Do you believe that? I think there's two amazing things about Paul's cry for freedom that are so important and I don't want us to miss it. The first is that freedom is both the means and the ends of the gospel. And the second is that we're not only set free from something, we're set free to something. And as we unpack these two statements today, I want you to see that freedom is and was the entire purpose of Jesus' mission. We're free. We're no longer enslaved to the law, to sin, to the expectations that other people try to put on us. But we're free to live by the power of the Spirit in us. Maybe you remember this drawing from two weeks ago. It was so bad, it was memorable, I know. If you weren't here two weeks ago, it's simply the time we have it alive. Holiness is that church word for Christ-like or growth or perfection. We're trying to get better, right? And so we live this life, and until we meet Jesus, we're not getting any holier. It doesn't matter how many works we do, how hard we try to do it, we're never climbing any closer to God in our own. But the minute we place our faith in Jesus, we're as perfect as we're ever going to be. All God sees is Christ and us in him. That's the truth of the gospel. And then we learn that when we hit these peaks and valleys of our lived experience, we get out of the valley by applying the gospel back to our lives. You see, free. Christ came to set you 
free. That's the verb tense. That's what that verb to set you free means. Now in the Greek, I know some of you are like, how much Greek can we handle? I'm sorry. The verb tense in the Greek, which gets even more intense, right? Like how many of us are good with our English verb tenses? I am not. I'm horrible. But the verb tense is the aorist tense. That matters because that means that this act was one and done forever. When Christ came, he died on the cross. He walked out of the grave. One and done, he set us free. That work is complete You and I are free because of the gospel. Church, we need to stop living like we're enslaved people and realize we're free. Paul's words all throughout this book have been stop trying to earn it. Stop thinking you're not enough. Stop trying to do more. You're free. To the Galatians, Paul is saying stop going back to the law. When you do that, you make the gospel powerless in your life. And to you and I, he's saying, stop trying to measure up. Stop trying to clean yourself up. Stop trying to make yourself look pretty before you come to me. Just come. And as you believe, I will set you free. If you believe that you in any way contribute to or take away from the saving work of God on the cross, Paul says, that's not the gospel. Listen to him in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Whenever someone turns, whenever someone believes Jesus is who he says he is, the veil's removed and we're in God's presence. For the Lord is the spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. So that's the verb. You're set free by the work of Jesus. The noun is freedom in that verse. Paul says you have freedom to live in relationship with God. You have freedom from death. We don't fear the consequences of death. We know that because of Jesus, we have eternal life. You're free to live in the spirit and you're free to do what God wants and has for you to do. The truth is freedom is available to all who place their faith in Christ. It's not something you have to earn. It's not something you have to wait for. You receive it. You don't have to strive for it. I think Paul wants us to understand this so desperately because when we experience the gospel, we are free to experience love and to love others. The freedom in the gospel, the freedom that Jesus provides is freedom for us to receive love and freedom for us to love those around us. That's what the Spirit does in our lives. Galatians 5, 5 and 6 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly 
wait and hope. We wait and hope for this to be our reality. This is our spiritual reality. Right now, this is how God sees you sitting in this room today. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, this is how God sees you. But that's not your lived experience every day, is it? Our lived experience is that it's an up and down. It's a sometimes we give in to the works of the flesh. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Sometimes we live by the Spirit. Sometimes we do the things we want to do. Paul says in Romans 6 or 7, but sometimes I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I can't do. We're waiting for the day that this up and down experience becomes our spiritual experience. But we're not just waiting passively. We're hoping Right? That word hope gets so mixed up in the English language. Because what do we say? Somebody walks up to you and says, hey, is it going to be sunny tomorrow? We go, I don't know. I hope so. It's this casual, like, eh, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. I don't know. But I hope so. That's not hope from a biblical perspective. Hope is an assurance of things will happen. Hope's not a, I'm not sure. It's a, it's going to happen. Listen to Paul in Romans 8, 24 and 25. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. That's our hope. Jesus is coming back. We're waiting patiently for that to happen. But we're waiting with confidence that this will one day be our everyday lived out experience. That we'll be without sin. That we'll be free ultimately of all that holds us here. And Paul says in Galatians 5 and 6 that Christ is the source of that hope. He looks at the Galatian church and he says, it's not your circumcision. It's not your uncircumcision. Circumcision, the spiritual things we do. It's not about getting to church on time. It's not about wearing the right clothes. It's not about being here every week. It's not about making sure you do all the right things. It's about believing in Jesus. Or your uncircumcision, the mistakes we make. We just sang about the God who forgives us a billion times. Paul says that's what it's about. It's about trusting that God is going to do what God said he would do, that God's grace is bigger than you can imagine. Paul goes on to say in verse 12, listen, if you think it's about this, if you think it's about doing or not doing this whole circumcision thing, I just wish you'd cut the whole thing off. And in the discussion, if you're like, oh my gosh, did he just say that? It's in Romans 5.12. Go read it when you get home. Paul's like had it with the Galatians in this conversation. Paul's every bit as passionate as William Wallace or as Dr. King that the Galatians and that you and I would experience the freedom that Christ gives us. But this isn't a freedom simply from something. It's a freedom to something. It's a freedom to live. It's freedom from the law. We've made that point now, right? We've beat that horse. It's dead. You're like, stop talking about freedom from the law. I get it. But it's also freedom from sin. It's freedom from motivation to sin. Why? Because the Spirit now dwells inside of us. 
We live free by the Spirit. Free to love and free to be loved. Take a look at Galatians 5, 16 and 18 if you've got your Bibles out. So I say let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting of each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are no longer under obligation of the law of Moses. Now, when I grew up, I remember watching a cartoon. I can't remember which one it was, but maybe it was multiple. And there was like a little angel that would sit on the cartoon character's shoulder. And there was a little devil that would sit on the cartoon character's shoulder. And they would like whisper things in the cartoon character's ear so that they would go do either the good thing or the bad thing. And you'd watch them fight this turmoil. Paul says that's what's at war inside of us. As believers in Christ, this experience of up and down and up and down is because there are two forces constantly fighting us. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Paul's word is constantly fighting. And we feel that tension from time to time, don't we? We we know what we should do. We know we shouldn't lose it on our kids when they don't listen or they don't clean their room or they don't do the things they should do. We know we shouldn't lose it on our spouse when our expectations aren't met, but yet we do sometimes. We make mistakes. We sin. We miss the mark. That's the flesh working in us. Paul says if we will surrender to the Spirit, we're free to live by the desires of the Spirit. John Stott says, true freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love to God and others. Freedom from my silly little self. Our desires, the desires of the flesh are so small compared to the things that God desires for us. Maybe you'd go back to your equation. We can go back to our equation and simply say that Jesus plus nothing equals freedom to love God and others. It's going to be a struggle. The sinful nature wants us to believe that we know better than God does, that we're smarter than God is. And Paul says, I want you to be, I want to be clear about this. I want you to see what the nature of sin is, what the nature of your flesh is. So look at this in Galatians 5, 19 and 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, And other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the little devil talking in our ear. But Paul says the Spirit wants these things. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We've got the devil speaking all the sinful, all the things we want. And then all the things the Spirit wants inside of us. And we live in that tension. Jesus makes it clear, or John makes it clear in his gospel when Jesus speaks. Jesus speaking says, he, the Holy Spirit, will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. The role of the Holy Spirit is to bring glory to Jesus as he leads us to love other people. Can we be honest for a minute, church? The reason this is a battle is because sin feels good in the moment. Temporarily, it feels good. If it didn't feel good, nobody would do it, right? You're driving to work. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. There's a momentary reaction where you use hand signals, not waving good morning to that person. That feels good as you begin to yell in your car. And you're like, oh, just centered myself, right? And then you get to your desk that morning and you sit down and you realize that doesn't feel very good. This sense of guilt, this wave of I shouldn't have done that, your conscience begins to wash over you and that temporary feeling of pleasure puts us right back in bondage. That's what the flesh does. The Friday night party feels great in the moment. The Saturday morning hangover, eh, not so good. But we forget in those moments that this is temporary. Lust seems pleasurable until we find ourselves in a real relationship. But our entire sense of intimacy is distorted and destroyed because pornography has caused us to have unrealistic expectations and we can't actually love. The desires of the flesh, they struggle because they look really good on the outside. Until we realize they've torn us apart on the inside. And Paul's list is exhaustive. Anger, envy, jealousy. Like those are the things that are like, well, okay, Paul, too close to home. Can we go back to murder and to all the things that I would never do because I'm a nice upstanding church person and I feel safe about these things. But Paul says, no, when you look at your neighbor's stuff and you're like, wow, I like that. That's the same as the lustful sexual immorality. But the spirit has come that we are set free from that. Not in our own strength. Not in the work we get to do in our own lives, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit works in us. It's not the fruit of Jason. It's the fruit of the Spirit that works in our lives as we surrender ourselves to the Spirit. Paul says this in Galatians 5.13, For you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. The Spirit has called us not to tear down the others around us, but to build them up. It's freedom not in our own power, but in the Spirit. Freedom to love God by loving others. Now, I find it interesting And maybe there's nothing to this, but Paul didn't call it the vegetables of the Spirit. One, that's weird to say, but he called it the fruit of the Spirit. Now bear with me, I know you're going to be like, Jason, you're wrong, the strawberry doesn't do that. But if you plant beans in the spring, some of you already have beans canned in your basement and ready to eat in the fall. If you plant corn in the spring, you have it to eat in the fall. If you plant a coconut tree... Do you know how long it's going to take till you get the first coconut? 18 to 20 years. The fruit of the Spirit, though they're generated by the work of the Spirit in our lives, sometimes take time. You're going to plant an apple tree, and you're going to look at its blossoms, and you're going to see its leaves, and sometime, depending on the variety of apple tree you planted, two to eight years later, you're going to get apples from it. So don't go plant an apple tree next spring and think you're going to have applesauce next fall. It doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes the Spirit working in us. It takes us surrendering our will to the Spirit to experience that freedom. Grapes. Whether you like them fresh or fermented, three years for grapes to come to harvest. Yes, there are those people who accept Jesus and all the desires fall away. We've heard those testimonies. God works in that way. God is able to make strawberries like that. Plant them, they grow super fast. But sometimes, as we grow in him, as we learn to live in the freedom that Paul is declaring for us, we realize It takes time for the fruit to really grow. It takes time for that fruit to mature. But are we growing? Do you see signs of life in our lives? Do you see it in my life? Do I see it in your life? Maybe there's no apple yet, but was there a blossom? Was there a moment? How are we doing it instead of trying to dig ourselves out of these pits we find ourselves in? applying the gospel and saying, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to remove this desire. I need you to clean me up. I want to love. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to be gentle. I want self-control. Spirit, produce those things in me. We can't do it on our own. They're the fruits of the Spirit. 
Are we learning to love God by loving those around us? Are you growing? We experience the gospel. When we experience the gospel, we are free to experience love and to love others. As we close this morning, I want to unpack that statement for you. The heart of the gospel is that you are loved. You're not condemned. You're not judged. You're not told you don't measure up. You're not cast away because somebody's better. God says, I love you. You are loved. You're free to experience the love Jesus has for you. You're free to receive that love and allow it to transform your life. If you've never heard that God loves you, the pages of scripture are full of stories of God's unconditional and unrelenting love. The truth is, you're free to believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And God sees you. And God knows you. And God loves you. But we're not only free to receive love. We're free to love back. That means we're free to give love to others. It means we're free to meet others where they are and love them despite their faults. It means we're free to let go of grudges and be kind to those who aren't kind to us. It means we're free to be patient with our kids who we have to tell over and over to do the same thing. It means you're free from the sin that trips you up if we'll rely on the Spirit. You're free to serve those around you. You're free to grow and produce fruit. We're free. Jesus plus nothing equals freedom to love God and others. My prayer this week is that as we go about our days, as we live our mundane, ordinary, Monday to Saturday life at the grocery store, at school, at work, at sports practice, at band practice, that we would rest and live like we are free. Free from the bondage of sin, free from the law, free from trying to measure up, and free to love. May we live lives that proclaim to those around us just as boldly as Dr. King proclaimed. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. We're free at last. Will you pray with me? God, in our everyday struggles, In the times that we believe we know better than you know, we forget that we are free. We forget that you provided a way out. We forget that your son came and died so we could live free. God, we're sorry. God, remind us It's not based on what we do. It's based on what you've done. You set us free when your son hung on the cross. 
May that truth penetrate our lives. May that act of incredible love so transform us that we can't help but share that love with those around us. God, I pray that those who see the gospel in us would see us live free of the concerns and the burdens, free to love those we come in contact with. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the freedom he provides. We pray all this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.